So I'm going to read from Acts 2. The title of what I'm going to say today, and my points are in the title, is Unity, Strategy, and the Supernatural. And I hope that we really grasp something of God's plan and purpose as we uh, read this passage and as we consider uh, some, some points from it. So Acts chapter 2, verse 1. And uh, I'm in the new, uh, the, sorry, the new international version. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. We heard uh, a heavenly language, somebody praying in a heavenly language this morning. And the Bible sometimes uses the expression tongues for that, praying in another tongue. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Christians and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. And we read on that Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk as you suppose. It's nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. Then the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's keep going because I'm enjoying just reading the passage. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him in a cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Peter went on to explain to them, brothers, I can tell you 
confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God uh, had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on the throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the anointed one. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to the number daily those who were being saved. What an incredible passage of Scripture. I don't know about you, but I read this and something stirs up inside of me and I get excited. And the key verse that we talked about last week as we began this new series in the book of Acts, as we look at this over the next now, well, eight weeks, this is week two of eight, and we thought about the key verse in the book of Acts in chapter one, verse eight, which says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will receive power. There's something about this experience that we have in God when the Holy Spirit comes into us that the Holy Spirit gives us the power to do the things that God asks us to do. We can try to do the things of God in our own strength. And if we do that, what will we create? If we try to do it in our own strength, we're going to create something that doesn't have a good foundation because it needs to come from God himself first and his work in us. And so we're going to cover three points today. We're going to cover unity, strategy, and the supernatural. The first one that we're going to think about is unity. And it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. 
And the language is very specific here. Luke could have said they were all together, or they were gathered, or they were in the same place, but the language is very specific. And let me show you why. It says that they were together, and they were in one place. And when you go back into the original language, what it's saying is that they were gathered with one purpose and with the same mind. There was a unity of heart and spirit, and they were gathered in one place, one area, one room where they met together. So not only were they gathered physically like this, they were gathered in here and in here. They were on the same page as we may say. You've heard that expression, singing from the same hymn sheet. I'm sure you've heard that. I don't think they had hymn sheets in those days. They didn't have overhead projectors. They didn't have hymn books. They didn't have any of that. But they were gathered, and there was a oneness in their purpose and why they were there. And this is what... uh, uh, I'm going to come to a little quote which I came across. I was reading another book and came across this. There are two ways of being united. One is by being frozen together, and the other is by being melted together. Have you ever wondered sometimes about churches and sometimes how it kind of feels like we can be frozen together? It's like, I don't have any choice but to be with these guys. I'd rather be somewhere else or with a, a cooler bunch of people. Uh, maybe the young people think about the old people like that. It's like, oh, look at those old guys, you know. Or maybe the old people are looking at the young guys and thought, what are they wearing today? You know, have you ever thought that sometimes church is a funny thing and we can be together physically but not really together? And D.L. Moody says this, what Christians need is to be united in brotherly love and they may expect power. There's something about when we come together and we're united in heart and purpose. And that's, read Psalm 133 if you don't believe me. It says that when we live together in unity, there God commands a blessing. But there needs to be unity. I've said this before, uh, when it comes to the power the power to be witnesses. We sometimes expect to see amazing things from God, but that power comes as we are prepared to go. And the, the apostles, as we thought about last week, were commanded first to wait, and then they would go and be his witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Another little example that I thought about, we don't all need to be singing the melody, but we do need to be singing the same tune. That's the beauty of harmony. What would it be like if we began to play the instruments and Steve was playing the first song and Sarah was playing the second song and I was playing the third song and Josh was in the last song, right? And Robert was on a totally different planet, (laughs) as he often is. What would it be like if we all sang, tried to sing a different song? It would be chaos, wouldn't it? We need to be singing the same song, but we can be singing in harmony, yeah? Think about an orchestra. Imagine the violins playing Bach's whatever, and, you know, the cellos are playing Beethoven, and, uh, you know, the, the, the brass section are on Tchaikovsky. I used to think Tchaikovsky began, Tchaikovsky began with a C. Um, I went into a, a record shop in Glasgow to get Sarah's first CD, and she loved Tchaikovsky, and I thought, where are the Tchaikovsky CDs? I can't find them. And I asked somebody, and they said, all the way down to T. And I was like, all right, okay. Yeah. 
But imagine the orchestra playing different tunes. They don't. They play the same tune, different instruments, different sounds, different times when they come in, but there's a unity when they come together to play. And that's what I'm really trying to get across today, is that when these people gathered, 120 people in the same place, there was a unity of spirit, a unity of purpose, and I think there was a unity in their hunger for the things of God. We know that they were waiting on obedience based on what God had said. And I think there must have been such an expectation as they gathered. Do we gather with expectation? Have we come today with expectation in our hearts? You see, every time the church comes together, we come to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The Holy Spirit is here. The Holy Spirit wants to speak to us and say things. And when I shared about that picture that God gave me, I really feel that it was God giving me a knowledge about situations in people's lives that he wanted to speak into because he cares about this, those situations. Do we come with expectation in our hearts? Tells us about these 120 people that they were baptized with the Holy Spirit or filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, what happened was the Holy Spirit of God came and saturated their whole being. It's like, it's like taking a drink. Except taking a drink to the point where you're like, I can't drink anymore or I'm going to burst. I better not drink anymore or I'll have to go somewhere and interrupt the sermon. Imagine being totally saturated and filled with the Spirit. The Bible says about Jesus that he had the Spirit without measure. And I think about us and our capacity to be filled with the Spirit. If we are filled with cares and worries or responsibilities, or perhaps pleasures, things that occupy our time, how much of our capacity do we have for the Holy Spirit? You see, the thing is, we need to keep coming back to God. I experienced the baptism of the Spirit uh, when I was just 22 years old. I was in Japan, and uh, you've heard this story before, many people. Uh, the sermon for the first time was in English and then been translated into Japanese. So I was able to hear my native language and understand the message. Couldn't tell you what the person spoke about. I do remember his name was Victor. I do remember that the Holy Spirit nudged me and said, you need to get Victor to pray for you. And at the end of the service, I just had this thing. I can't shake it. I need to go and I need to get Victor to pray for me. And he sat me down, hands out, and he prayed for me. And when he prayed for me, something happened. The Holy Spirit came upon me in a way that I had never experienced before. And I began to speak in an unknown language. It's not something that I'd learned. I don't even think it was an earthly language. It was a heavenly language. Something happened in that, that moment in time. But I remember at the time being hungry for more of God, hungry for more of the Holy Spirit. The Bible was out. We were studying prophecy, my friend and I, looking at what God's plan and purpose was for the earth. And we're into all these things. And it was at that time that God came and baptized me in the Spirit. Something happened. And for these people who had gathered, these 120, they were united in heart and purpose. And that, for me, is so important. The second thing is around strategy. Acts chapter 2, verse 1 says that when the day of Pentecost came, and one of the problems that we can have 
is that when we begin to look at the Bible, when we begin to read Scripture through a particular lens, even a Pentecostal lens, we can miss things because we're so focused on one thing that we miss something else. And we can get caught up in all the supernatural happenings in Acts 2, and that's good, and perhaps miss the fact that God had a plan for Pentecost. See, this was a time for the Jewish pilgrims to travel to Jerusalem for the Feast of Weeks. It was a pilgrimage festival. It's called Shavuot, which means weeks. And the Greek word eventually used for this time was Pentecost because everything was translated into Greek, even the Old Testament. And essentially what it means is the 50th from Passover. And they had gathered from among the nations to worship, but they had no idea what was going to happen next. And this is a diagram that shows where they had gathered from. You can see this is Jerusalem, kind of in the middle here. And they had gathered from all around the nations in that part of the world at that point in time. They'd come for this feast. It was the, the second of three pilgrim feasts. The first one was Passover. The second one was uh, Feast of Weeks, Shavuot. And the last one is Sukkot, which happens nearer the autumn time. And so they traveled, and these were Jewish people who had traveled, they'd come for a specific festival, and they'd come to worship God. So these people already believed in God, they had a love for God, they had a passion for God, but they had come with an expectation in their hearts to worship God. But let's go back to the first Passover and this period of time that they are celebrating. You see, the Feast of Weeks is the, is the culmination of this time that starts at Passover, and it lasts for 50 days. If we go all the way back into the Old Testament, we read about the children of Israel and how they came out of Egypt. Moses had been used by God to demonstrate God's power to the Pharaoh. The Pharaoh was holding them in captivity, and he had become a tyrant to the Jews. He had them in slavery and forced labor, and God sent Moses to deliver the people. And you've probably heard the stories or read the stories about the 10 plagues that God sent on Egypt. And the last one, this was the crunch, was the death of the firstborn. But in order to escape this inevitable judgment, God had instructed the people to select a lamb that was without defect, to kill it, and to put the blood of the lamb on the doorposts of the house. Sounds a bit strange to us all these years later. But essentially... When the spirit, when the, the, the angel of death passed over Egypt, Moses had been instructed that if they put the blood on the doorposts, then when the angel saw the blood, he would pass over and he would not take the life of the firstborn. Very, 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 very kind of heavy time in Egypt, if you think about it. And so they took a lamb, they killed it, they put the blood on the doorposts, and this time was something that the Jewish people would celebrate for years to come. They still do. And it was called Passover because it was the time when the angel of death passed over when he saw the blood on the doorposts. And that's exactly what happened. The, the angel of death swept through Egypt, the firstborn male, 
died, whether it was livestock or humans, and these were turbulent times and a time of great distress in Egypt, the last straw for the Pharaoh. And it says that they were instructed, the people were instructed to make bread without yeast because they were going to have to leave Egypt in a hurry. And that's what they did. And when this happened, the Pharaoh came and said, you guys need to go. And we read that they traveled through the desert and after various circumstances came to Sinai. And this is where Moses went up the mountain and God gave them the law, the Ten Commandments. And this took place 50 days after that first Passover, when God gave them the law through Moses. You read about this in Exodus, specifically this part in Exodus 19. And the giving of the law was just as miraculous as what we've just read about in Acts. Listen to some of the things it says. In verse 9 of Exodus 19, it says, The Lord said to Moses, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. There was something happened on that day when God gave them the law, when God gave them the Ten Commandments that they heard. There was things that they saw on that day. The, verse 11, the Lord came down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And then verse 18 says that the Lord descended on it in fire. Does it sound familiar? And I think it's so significant that at this time, these words of the Lord were spoken. Earlier on in Exodus 19, we read this. This is what Moses said to the people, or God said to the people through Moses. Now, if you obey me, uh, if you obey me fully and keep my com uh, covenant, then out of uh, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. And that day the Israelites received the word of God. That day they became a people. That day this nation was born. Judaism was born. And it says in verse 8 of that passage in Exodus 19, the people all responded together, we will do everything the Lord has said. That was before they even knew what was going to be in the law, before they knew what was going to be on these tablets of stone, those Ten Commandments, and all the things that God would say to them. Before they even got that, they said, we will do everything the Lord has said. You see, they received the word of God that day. And it just, this blows my mind that John, as he opens his gospel, says this, that the word became flesh. He's talking about Jesus. The word became flesh. Those things which God had said, which he had enacted for these people, became a living person. The word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word became a person, a real living person, flesh and blood person, who they could see, speak to, sit down and eat with. And then we move from these Old Testament times to Jesus being born, the Word becoming flesh is what it talks about, and then we go into what Passover meant for these people at this time. The Passover feast was when Jesus was crucified, the unleavened bread is that period that happens after Passover meal where they eat bread that's not got yeast in it. Then 
Jesus appearing to his disciples, Jesus' ascension, and then the Holy Spirit is given. Let me just walk through this. You see, the thing is, Jesus came to be our Passover lamb. And that is one of the crucial things that we need to get in this story. Just as all those years ago they had to kill a lamb and put the blood on the doorposts so that the angel of death would pass over, so today Jesus has become for us the Passover lamb. What does that mean? Do we need to do some weird things with blood? We're not a cult. We're not weird. We don't do stuff like that, okay? But what it is saying is that we, by faith, need to apply what we've talked about and sung about this morning. By faith, we need to apply that to our lives, recognizing that Jesus is the one who died on a cross for our sins in order that we might be free, that we might be forgiven, that we might be healed, that we might have a hope and a future that is in Christ. Jesus, just like that first lamb, his blood was shed on the cross in order that God's judgment would fall upon him and not us. You see, sin has to be paid for. There's always a price. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through what Jesus has done for us. Just as the Hebrews had to apply the blood on the doorposts that first time when they left Egypt, we need to apply the blood of Jesus to our lives through faith and acceptance of him as the sacrifice for our sins. He is our Passover lamb, or to use the Hebrew language, the Paschal lamb. He is the one who has died. It's his blood that has been shed for us. And I've probably missed some of my points. No, I haven't. You see, Jesus didn't stay dead. He came out of the grave. And just as these people were in Egypt and were subject to death and slavery, so they came out of a place of slavery and into a place of life. Jesus came out of the grave from a place of death into life. And what he says about us is that we, as we become a Christian, we have come from death and into life. We've been talking about that for months now. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and life in all its fullness. That's what God wants to give us, as a full life. And so Jesus came out of the grave. We read that he appeared to his disciples over a period of 40 days. Paul, in the book of Corinthians, in verse, uh, chapter 15, talks about how he appeared to 500 people at one time. That whole passage is about the resurrection. You need to read it. It's fun, uh, just phenomenal. And then Jesus went back to the Father in full view of the disciples, and he gave them the command to wait, to wait for what would come. And here they are, gathered together in unity with an expectation in their hearts. The Jewish people who have gathered there, who hear this happening and stand back in amazement, are there for a purpose. They're there to celebrate the culmination of redemption, something that began at Passover and goes all the way through this 50-day period and ends in the Feast of Weeks. And it was a time of celebration. And we read that the Holy Spirit came and the church was born. And as you read that description, it was an incredible time. It was miraculous. There was things happening that stopped the traffic in Jerusalem. Could you imagine it these days, right? Downtown Whitburn, and we're having a meeting in a, an upper room, maybe the hairdressers down the main street. 
right? And people are driving past or walking past and they hear this commotion and they think, what's happening up there? And a crowd begins to draw in, the, in, in Whitburn Cross. You know, people gather in Whitburn Cross for other reasons and do the whole bouncy, bouncy thing. You've probably seen that on Facebook, yeah? Whatever that's all about. But could you imagine God doing something that stops the traffic? That's what happened in Acts chapter 2. And they began to speak in other languages. And they began to prophesy and talk about the wonders of God. And these people who've gathered from all around for this particular feast hear the wonders of God being spoken in their own language. When it comes to the gift of tongues, I think there's two ways it works. One is where people are given a supernatural ability to speak in another earthly language, and I've heard stories like that. And then there's the other thing that Paul talks about, about a heavenly language, two different areas. This was languages that people could understand. And I think it's incredible as I read Peter's address to the people, and then I think that Peter later on wrote this letter to the churches, and in it he says, as you come to him, this is First Peter chapter 2, verse 4, as you come to him, the living stone rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Peter goes on to say in verses 9 and 10, listen to this, this is amazing, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may, what, declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness, out of death, and into his wonderful light, a place of life. Verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you are a people the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The day when the church becomes a people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And I don't know about you, but I hear the echoes all the way back to when God spoke to them in Exodus 19, that there would be a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people called out to serve God and to give praise and glory to him. And here we are, all this time later, with this incredible privilege of being able to be called the church, his body, a building, living stones that are being built together that we might declare his praises. And we can only declare his praises with boldness when we have the Holy Spirit working in us. Just as the Jews became a people under the law of God at Sinai, so... We have become the people of God as we receive the promise of God. And listen to what Paul says, Peter says, sorry. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, even in sunny Whitburn. And I think it is sunny today. For all who are afar off, not just for one generation, but for the generations not just for one group of people in that center of kind of like the world, if you like, Jerusalem, but for all people. Where had they to go? Start in Jerusalem, then Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth, everywhere that the whole earth might hear who God is. 
this was a strategic move. And some people here need to hear today that God has a plan, God has a strategy for your life. Felt this as I was preparing, that God has a plan, He has a strategy, He has a purpose, He has a timing. He exhibited that very nature of His character when this happened in Pentecost. God could have poured out His Spirit before or after they'd all went home, but there was a purpose for Pentecost that people might hear the message. And there's a purpose for your life, and there's a timing in the things of God, the things that you're praying for, believing for, waiting for. There is a timing in God, and I encourage you not to run ahead of the timing of God. Don't run ahead. Don't try to create something that God hasn't intended. If He said that it's going to happen, then wait for it to happen in His way. And then lastly, the supernatural. And there's three things which I saw as I read this passage. And I'm going to try and kind of skip through these things. The first thing is the presence of God. And the presence of God was unmistakable. The presence of God impacted on the senses of 120 people who were gathered, but also on those who who gathered from outside. They heard the sounds, they saw the fire, they were filled with the Spirit, they began to speak in unknown languages, all of them and all at the same time. And it was so overwhelming that it stopped the traffic. See, we can know that God is in us, in our lives, and we know that when we become a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes into our lives. We can read that. However, can we say that we're filled with the Spirit? But did I say earlier, Jesus had the Spirit without measure. And we fill up our lives with cares and worries and responsibilities and pleasures and all the things that we do. And we make less and less room for God in our lives. You see, we have the Holy Spirit living within us. And so in that sense, we have the presence of God. But I think God wants to do more in us. And He wants us to make room in our lives for him. Can we say that we have been baptized with the Spirit? This supernatural experience. You see, it wasn't just for one group of people and one place at one time in history, but the promise is for who? You and for your children and for all who are far off. This is for everybody. This is for the church. It's not something that happened as some people believe some people take a cessationist route. They believe that that all happened for the birth of the church at that particular time, and then that all that stuff stopped. Well, sorry, I don't see that evidenced in real life. What I see evidenced in real life is those things happening, that happened then, happening now, because the church is still being built. The second thing is the power of God. We can know the presence of God, but we can also know the power of God. And God's power changes things. It changes people. It changes circumstances. It is God's power at work in us that changes our lives. You see, simply, power is the ability to do things. The ability to do stuff, that's what power is. And in the Gospel of Mark, we read even about Jesus, that the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. Jesus was only able to do things in proportion to the Spirit's working in his life. And we can only do the work of God through the power of God. If we're not doing it in the power of God, then we're creating our own thing. 
And I'm pretty sure that there are people who are maybe leading churches who've built something using their own gift and their own talent and their own strength. And maybe it's going great. But what are we building and is it going to last? Even Jesus knew this. We can only have the power of God if we, are, if we have the Spirit of God living in us. And the question is, to what extent are we able to have the Holy Spirit in our lives? You know, I was thinking about this and thinking about, you know, the fact that every day we have certain routines. Right? We go up and we have breakfast and, you know, there's a few hours and then we have lunch and then there's a few more hours and then we have our dinner. And sometimes we have wee snacks in the middle. And then it comes to bedtime and we have supper, right? And so what happens is that our tummies are always full and they're never really, really hungry, right? And there comes times where, where we've not eaten for hours and hours and hours and we go, oh, I'm starving, right? Because our stomach's empty or they should empty in order that we fill them up again. And what happens is when our stomach's empty, it creates a hunger within us. The stomach sends a wee signal to the brain saying, it's time to feed me, feed me now, doesn't it? And we all reach for the Mars bars rather than the apples and the oranges and all that stuff. And it, it just makes me think about our spiritual life as well. Are we empty enough to be hungry enough for the things of the Spirit? And that's really the crucial question. The people who gathered in unity had a hunger, had an expectation that God was going to do something because they had emptied themselves of all the other stuff. Jesus had been crucified. He had risen from the dead. He'd appeared to them. He'd commanded them to wait, and they were waiting with expectation. They were empty of all the other stuff of life, waiting for God to come and do something. And I wonder, I wonder, are we in that place or are we still filled with all the stuff of life so that when we come together, that expectation isn't there because we're already satisfied because our lives are so full? You see, if we want the power of God, we need to have the Holy Spirit within our lives. If we want to be in the presence of God and see the power of God, then we need to have the Holy Spirit inside. And then lastly, and I'm almost finished, there's the purpose of God. You see, the purpose of God is to have a living relationship with people, to call out a people who will be his people. Let me read Peter again. But you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare his praise, the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. And this has always been God's purpose, is to have relationship with people. It was his purpose for the Jews all those years ago. But they continually reverted to other gods, to idolatry, to selfishness, and to sinful ways. And ultimately, they rejected Jesus as the Messiah and handed him over to Rome to be crucified. We read that in Hebrews 11 verse 11. They rejected the one who had been uh, spoken about by the Scriptures. And they couldn't accept that Jesus was the Messiah. And this is what Peter goes on to address to these Jews who are gathered from all around the, that part of the world at, at that point in time. This is the Jesus whom you rejected. You handed him over 
to be crucified. But the point is that Jesus didn't stay crucified. He rose again. And we're coming to Easter when we'll celebrate the resurrection. He rose again to give us life in order that we might experience his power, experience his presence, and experience his purposes. The question is, do you want it? Do you want it? Are you hungry for it? Or are you caught up with the stuff of life? A lot of important stuff in life. But has that become the distraction? And has that satisfied us so that when we come before God, we're not got hunger in us and there's nowhere for God to fill? My prayer is that we continue to hunger and thirst. The word says that blessed is he who hungers and thirsts for righteousness because he'll be filled. If we are hungry after the things of God, then that's what we will receive. And my encouragement today is that we consider, as we consider the early church, the fact that Jesus is building a church and that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Can I encourage you not to get down when people talk about how the church is diminishing? unless it's getting down on your knees and praying for the church, because we need to pray for the church like never before. You see, it doesn't matter where you've come from, if you're rich or poor, your color, your skin, how much money you've got, how intelligent you are, none of this matters. Jesus levels out the playing field. It doesn't matter if you're a professor from Cambridge or a peasant from Cambodia. God has his people all across the world and God is building something and he calls us to be a part of that, to be part of his building program. Are we going to give ourselves to that? We read earlier about being living stones. Each person who knows God is a living stone, not a living stone, a living stone positioned in the church for a reason and a purpose. You are a living stone positioned in the church, part of the building, part of what God is doing for a purpose. Don't let anybody tell you that that's not the case. Don't let anybody whisper into your ear and say you don't matter. If you are a child of God, you're a living stone and you matter and you have a place in God's plans and purposes. You know, if you want to read more about some of these things, there's a couple of books which I recommend by Donald G. Concerning Spiritual Gifts and the Fruit of the Spirit. Interesting uh, books to read, and I uh, recommend them to you if you want to know more about this. If you want to know more about being filled with the Spirit, about being baptized with the Spirit, then come and speak to me. If, if it's a case of let's, people are hungry enough for God, then we'll gather together, we'll worship God, and we'll pray, and we'll just wait, and we'll expect God to come and do some things, because that's what I want to see. I want to see God doing some things that change people, that change the landscape, that change Whitburn, that cause the traffic to stop in this area, or wherever you're from, in Livingston, Armadale, Bathgate, wherever you're from today. My hunger in it just prayer is that God does things that stop the traffic. I'm going to ask that we uh, bow our heads in prayer. Maybe you want to stand with me as we pray. And as the musicians come back up, we're going to sing a closing song. And, uh, but we're going to pray and ask God just to seal these things today. So let's stand as we pray.
Father, we thank you for the incredible uh, good news that you have shared with this world through Jesus. Father, that each one of us is important to you. Father, important enough for Jesus to die for. And Father, I pray that if there are those today who have never accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior, if they've never come to that place of inviting the Holy Spirit in, that today would be the day when they do that. Father, that there'd be uh, freedom to do that in your house today. Father, this is your house, this is your family, and we have come as your children. And Father, we acknowledge your presence in this place today. And we ask that you would just continue to speak to our hearts. Lord, as we take up the book of Acts and as we continue to read through that, as we study it in connect groups, Father, as we study it uh, in our own personal time, as we work through the pray and build book and pray for the church, Lord, we pray that you just open up new things for us, that you would stir up a hunger and a passion within us today. Mm. Father, that you would do some new things amongst us. Father, things that perhaps we've never seen before. And Father, that you would just revive us and that you would cause us to be your people. Lord, we're excited about what you can do. Father, you can do anything. The Bible says that with man, certain things are impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Father, we know, and we read it in Philippians, that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And so, Father, we pray that you'd cause faith to rise within our hearts, cause a hunger and an expectation to rise within our hearts. And Father, may we know just an increased sense of your presence, the manifestation of that and power. Father, that you'd do new things, that you would perform miracles and wonders in our fellowship as well. Father, whether we're gathered or whether we're separated, whatever it is, Father, we pray that you begin to do new things in our hearts and in our fellowship here. Lord, we thank you for this church. We thank you for its witness. And Lord, we pray that you would take us into the next stage of all that you have for us. Father, we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.